0: Let's get moving with Maria, inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life.
1: Thank you for joining us today for Let's Get Moving. Today we're talking about ways to improve your body image and self-esteem and promote positive body image for girls. My guest, Lindy Barnard, licensed clinical social worker and founder of Mind and Strength Counseling, and thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thanks. I'm so excited to be here today.
1: So, Lindy, I, I've been thinking about this whole body image thing, this whole self-esteem thing, and I'm just wondering, where do we get that view of ourselves? Is this something that we're born with and it's part of our personality? Is it environmental? What do you think?
0: I think it's more environmental than born with because babies aren't born hating their bodies. So it's definitely environmental. And if you look at throughout history, people's views of body image, beauty standards have changed. And so it definitely is environmental, cultural, and even within current cultures, you'll see like Western standards are different than Asian standards. You know, culturally, we have a lot of thin privilege in the United States is really, really like considered the body, image, beauty standard. And so that puts a lot of pressure on people that don't naturally fit that standard. So, but one thing we do talk about a lot with our clients is, You know, babies, toddlers, they don't, they're not born believing their bodies are bad or look wrong. It's something they start to learn and pick up on as young as six years old.
1: That is crazy. I I read a statistic on your website. Uh, 97% of women say they have at least one negative thought about their bodies every day. Yeah. Yeah. 65% of women between the ages of 25 and 45 engage in disordered eating behaviors as a result of this. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty dramatic numbers.
0: Yeah. And a lot of women don't even realize they're engaging in disordered eating behaviors because it's become so normalized. You know, like if you think about all the different types of diets, if you think about the wellness diet industry, right, like it is a billion, multi-billion dollar industry. Hey, do this. This will solve this problem. Do this. This will solve this problem. Oh, that didn't work. Try this. And so a lot of women don't even realize sometimes that they are engaging in that disordered eating or in that negative body image because they're bombarded with those outside messages all the time. But what really becomes like a light bulb moment for a lot of women, including myself, was like, I didn't see it in myself and a lot of my clients haven't seen it seen it in themselves because they're told that's what they're supposed to do to get their body to look the way the world tells us it needs to look. And then you realize my whole day is structured around what am I going to eat? When am I going to exercise? How long am I going to exercise? Oh, can I go out to dinner with my friends? Oh, wait, does that fit into my meal plan? And then all of a sudden, not only is it I'm just having one negative thought, I have what we call preoccupation where I'm thinking about it. When we do assessments for eating disorders and body image, we ask, like, how many hours a day do you find yourself think about this? And it goes from one to three, three to five, six plus. And I have people that are like, think about it all the time. And then they realize, wait, that's not good. That's not normal to not to think about it all the time. And so we do a lot of deconstructing of, like, how do we build a healthier relationship with our body and our mind and our health so it's not – Taking up all of your mental energy and your brain power all day.
1: I think it's crazy how we have normalized Mm -hmm. our behavior surrounding our eating and our body image self-esteem. Yes, kinds of things. I do find it a little bit heartening. I mean, you talked about we're bombarded by all of these images and products and how to, you know, fix your wrinkles and whatever. Um, But I am heartened by some of the artists like Jax Mm -hmm. and Lizzo who are trying to bring this to light and show people, hey, you shouldn't be ashamed of your body. Or, hey, as far as Jax is, you know, she's saying, I know Victoria's Secret. And Victoria's Secret was made up by a man, yeah. which I, I think those are they're kind of heartening because they give us hope that women are starting to see that it's not just about what your body looks like.
0: Exactly. And that's the key. And that's the paradigm that I really practice from is, is um, it's not just what your body looks like. Like Lizzo's a great example. Taylor Swift talks a lot about mental health and a lot of people really resonate with her messages But one of the things I think is so powerful for women who have been you know, bombarded with messages that my value first comes with what my body looks. A great book and a great research to look at is from Lindsay and Lexi Kite. um, And they are actually graduates of the University of Utah. Yeah, we've had
1: them on the podcast before. People can go back and listen to that if Ah. they'd like to as well.
0: I love their book. And um, I was able to be a group facilitator for their – they are more than a body curriculum last year. Ran a, ran a few groups because, like their their message that positive body image is is not what your body looks like. It's believing your body is good no matter what it looks like, and really focusing on what we call body neutrality. Um, how our body functions and what our body does for us versus what it looks like doing it. You know, so many people, like you said, like also other statistics are. That women end up missing out and skipping activities because of insecurity about how their body looks. So trying to learn, like, don't stop yourself from trying something new. Don't stop yourself from, you know, going out to dinner with friends. Or if you want to go try a paddleboard, try a paddleboard. I tried paddleboard for the first time this summer. And... It's hard, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm not going to let my head get in the way. So we really try to focus on building that positive body image where it's more about believing your body is good because you're a human being that's worthy and your body is here to help you experience life. How your body looks isn't the ultimate goal.
1: Right. It's really difficult, though, because after years and years of thinking a certain way, about your body image and not just your own body, but judging others for what they look like, it is so hard to step back and relearn and how to think.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And it's interesting because when I first started really getting into this work, um, obviously I had my own story. I grew up a larger girl most of my life. I've done all the weight cycling all, all the things, right, um, and thought I found the solution. And then life takes you on a curveball and things happen. And so um, I've done my own therapy, you know, and done work around it. But when I first really started looking at it from a more professional perspective, it was because after like 10 years of being a therapist, I would talk to women because I find movement, exercise, I like to call it joyful movement, Because I want people to, um, like you said, unlearn that exercise doesn't have to be punishment. Because so many women view exercise as a way to change the body, change the shape, lose weight. And then if they don't get the results they want, then they stop. But movement is such an important part of mental health for anxiety and for depression and stress relief. But I found over the years I would try to talk to women about exercise for their mental health. And they're like... Oh, no. (laughs) And so I finally realized, Mike, if I really want to help people really improve their mental health, I really have to help them heal their relationships with their body and with food. And then that triples into all these other areas. Um, So it is really hard to unlearn. And that's why, um, like you said, seeing other messages, using social media to see other influencers and people that um, are sharing a different story, that's why therapy Group All those things can be helpful because one of the first tips to improving that body image is, like you said, becoming aware of the messages a lot of us grew up with and why they're harmful. And those can include family, social, religious, sexual, school, diet culture, all the things. So we do a lot of building self-awareness of like what messages were you taught, how were bodies talked about when you were growing up. How do you talk about bodies and how do you, what automatic judgments do you make about other people's bodies? Because more often than not, we make moral judgments based off of people's size.
1: Right. And I think a lot of us are our own worst enemies. Yeah. We are the ones holding ourselves back. Yes. It's not other people holding us back. It's our thoughts about ourselves and how we perceive of ourselves that do that. Exactly. So it kind of filters into everything. Yep, it's not just that you're not going to the pool party because you think you're a little fatter than the rest of the people in the group, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it filters into your work mm-hmm. and into how you're relating to your friends, mm-hmm.
0: and that's why a lot of people think that just weight loss alone is the solution. Oh, because if I'm skinnier, I won't feel insecure, and I'll and I'll go to the pool party party, or I'll go hang out with my friends, or I'll speak up to my, for myself. Or, okay, then I can go to the doctor without shame, right? Like the weight stigma is also a big piece depending on the body size. Here's the thing I just want to clarify too is no matter where people are on the size spectrum, everybody, women, men, have struggled with body image because of messages we've been told. But there's this universal fear. I've worked with people from so many – all over the size spectrum. There's this universal fear of gaining weight because it's so correlated with – negative judgment so a lot of people thought weight loss is the solution then i'll be go out and be more social what we find is self-esteem is a is really based on comparing ourselves to other people and that goes up and down so if my value is constantly based on how i i look compared to other people around me that's con that 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 um degree of success or that like parameter we're using to measure success is constantly a moving target. So what we really want to work on is helping people create a more healthy self-worth and self-concept. And like you said, we're our worst, our own worst enemies is really learn what self-compassion is. How do I recognize that I am more alike with other people than different? You know, and that it's okay if I struggle. It doesn't mean I can't go and do these social events. That actually increases people's resilience, their ability to try hard things, and their ability to reach out when they need help because they don't feel so isolated and alone.
1: I'm going to have you give us a few tips in just a few minutes on how we can improve our own concept of self, our self-esteem, our body image, everything that goes into that. But before I do, I think it's important to talk about the way we see others and helping others also change, because this is a societal issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I can change how we feel about ourselves. It might take us a long time, mm-hmm. but we can do it, right? Yes. But changing the way society as a whole views not just women, just body image. Yes. You know, and relates a person's success to whatever their weight is. Mm-hmm. How do we help heal that issue or solve that issue. I was sitting in the I have to give you an example before you answer the question. I'm in the dermatologist's office to handle a couple of issues and I look over at the poster and the poster is of a young woman getting botox. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is what she did at 30 and at 30 I'm thinking 30, are we promoting that for someone does someone at 30 really have wrinkles? <laughs> Do you know I, I so, I think it's a bigger issue. I think it's a societal issue, and how do we help frame it so that everyone around us starts thinking about the way they're perceiving of others?
0: yeah, that's a really good question and I think it is so important to see it from a um societal issue or what I call what we call in psychology, we call it systems theory when you're looking at the entire system. I had a coworker that used to use the example of a watch. If you take one little piece out of the watch, the watch won't work. So Mm -hmm. you have to look at the entire system. And so you're right. And it's like a top down versus a bottom up approach, right? Like, yes, there's work I can do as an individual, but that individual is constantly going to be bombarded by messages societally. So if we don't address it from that micro, macro, mezzo, In social work, we talk about the three levels. There's individual, there's kind of family systems, and then cultural, you know. So I think a couple of different ways is, one, we need advocates like you and other people in the community that have voices in the community to talk about these issues and to advocate for change. You know, I know – over the last several years um, in Utah especially, there's been legislation that is being passed to help with mental health issues and to help with social media around teenagers, right? Like there's community-wide organizations and initiatives to help with that, which I think is an important piece. And the more we destigmatize and we open up and talk about it and people hear other people's struggles um, that they view as – in um, Influential in the community is helpful as well. So hearing other people's stories really helps to make people feel less alone. But there's also great examples nationally. So, like for example, in New York, um, several legislators and several doctors in the community actually advocated, and New York just passed, I think law is the right word, I might be using the wrong word, but there's they they policy have, maybe. Policy maybe. To outlaw weight stigma and discrimination in workplace housing, which in most states actually is in part Okay, so I
1: get that, and I understand why they want to do that, and I think it's important. So don't feel like I'm minimizing that. Mm -hmm. But if the person, if the boss still thinks that, if the person doing the hiring still thinks that and they're just only fulfilling, you know, some quota or a policy... I don't know that that fixes anything.
0: It doesn't fix it because you have to do it on all three levels, right? Like – and and here's the hard thing is, is like there's things that we can do on a systemic level, right? But in my work, I do so much on the individual level, you know, because I work individually with people or I work with small groups or I work with families. Um, so it, it – It is hard, and I've also worked, like I used to work full-time for an employee assistant program, so I used to go out to companies and do presentations on mental health, and I used to work with teams and bosses and dynamics, right? And it's really hard to... I'm sure you see this in your (laughs) field all the time.
1: I think my field's the worst.
0: (laughs) Well, it's hard to Especially with age.
1: It's even worse, you know, when you're talking about age. So when you have age and maybe weight on top of that, then it's a totally different thing.
0: And it's hard to convince people to think differently unless there's something that impacts them directly that makes them start thinking differently.
1: I understand. So maybe let's talk about the compassion piece then. How do we kind of switch our minds so when we see someone who we perceive as being overweight, walking, we're not thinking – we're actually thinking of them in a positive light. Look at them. They're actually doing something to improve their health Mm -hmm. rather than judging them for the way they look.
0: Yeah. Well, you just gave a great example as we – just reframing it. But asking – I'm asking yourself, why is that my automatic thought? You know, why is – and we call automatic thoughts those reactive thoughts that happen without even us thinking about it. Which is
1: scary. "Mm -hmm."
0: And so what we have to do is we have to test those automatic thoughts. Like, whoa, why was that my first thought? And then you start kind of like, what if? You know, we don't know what this person just went out. We have to start recognizing that people as a human being are so much bigger than just what they look and what's happening on the street, right? Hey, what if that person just found out they're – their loved one died and they're out walking because it's the way they can grieve. You know, like um, I remember when when my father, my father died about three years ago um, in the I'm middle sorry. of the pandemic. It was, it was sudden and unexpected. But when I got the phone call, I remember like just having to go outside and just needing that sunlight and needing something to like, just my body was in literal shock. Right. No one knew what was going on. But it was my way of grieving. So if we can start to when we see somebody, you know, um, or we're at the gym and we see people of very varying sizes in the gym, if we can look at it, like you said, from that compassion of like, oh, look, I wonder what's motivating them to be here. I wonder what's going on behind what struggles are they going with or. Oh, what are they trying to work on? What's the reason why they want to go to the gym? You know, for me, it's a big stress really. For me, it is, I like to get stronger. I love to move weight. I love weightlifting and those things. Um, lately, it's also been a chance to connect with my son who started to go with me and enjoy it. And that's been a fun experience. But those are things that if you just look at me, people can't tell. So if you think about yourself and we don't want people to judge us, Think about what do we want them to know about us that they can't see just by looking at me. And when you find yourself judging other people, start to ask yourselves, would I say this, you know, to their face? And oftentimes we wouldn't, but we say the worst things to ourselves. So if we start to ask ourselves, you know, what we're thinking, what those automatic thoughts are, and would I say this to myself, and what would I want other people to understand about me? And then we start to see people in a bigger, bigger element than just what they look like when we see them on the street.
1: All right. What about compliments? <laughs> Our compliments, we usually give a compliment, we think it's positive. But mm-hmm. I also think that sometimes we give compliments that maybe aren't taken in that light.
0: And you can't control how, how people perceive it.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Um, I think the danger behind compliments is if you only compliment a person when they do like wear a certain thing or get their Mm -hmm. hair cut, then it's a problem. But if you're complimenting people on a variety of different things, then maybe it's helpful. I don't know. Tell me what you think. So a couple of
0: thoughts. One, specifically, when you um, are talking about body image and eating disorders, we actually talk with our clients and with their families about not making body comments, period. Just not positive or negative, because you never know how the person
1: is going to perceive it. Right, but if I lose thirty pounds, no one notices. I'm going to be really upset. And right, so I can see where both <laughs> I can see both sides of the problem here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and again, that goes to like that might be not a general population. It's a and that's where as an individual with close relationships. You can kind of guide, like, hey, thanks. That makes me feel good. Or, no, just don't make any comments about it. You know? Now, I think internally, what happens is if we don't believe it about ourselves, someone gives us a compliment, we dismiss
1: it. Isn't that just so sad? Mm hmm. Too. Like, I have to really check myself and just say thank you. Exactly. But because I know education, I mean, I'm educated enough to know that that's what I should do. That doesn't mean what I'm. I'm really thinking or feeling though.
0: Exactly. And then again, it's like managing your own emotions around it. Yes. And that's like when I talk with clients and I remember this experience myself of like if we don't believe it and feel it, we dismiss it and we'll like make an excuse or say I'm sorry. And it does take some training just to say thank you. But then after the fact, like, okay, why did that? Hurt me, or why do I not believe them? Why do I think they're lying to me? And having to like talk through your own emotions so much of it is not so much as what people say, but as more about how we interpret it and based on how we believe about ourselves. So, so more of it is like you said, being able to say thank you, believe people. You know, give people the benefit of the doubt and then check your own emotions and your own thoughts about it.
1: Right. So the podcast is all about giving people a few things that they can do to make a change in their mm-hmm. life, start making a difference. So let's, yeah. give, let's give the listeners um, a few ideas of things that they can do to start making a difference in their own life. Where should they start?
0: So I always say self-awareness is half the battle. And we kind of spoke to that a lot. Like, one, I think if you really want to work on improving your body image is really understand the cultural influences from both your both from your current life and your childhood that have influenced how you think and feel about your own body as well as how you think and feel. Best way to do that is one of my favorite books is called Pursuing Perfection by Margot Main. And one of the things I love about it too, it's actually a book written for women in their midlife and beyond. She has a chapter on menopause. She has a lot of good self-reflection essays or journal prompts. Um, to sit down and journal prompt and ask yourself, like, okay, what memories do I have from school? How did my family talk about bodies? You know, what are my automatic thoughts about bodies? So I find journaling and self-awareness such an important piece because you can't start to change that own dialogue in your head if you don't recognize the dialogue in your head. And then that second piece is really starting to integrate joyful movement. And I find that so important because so many women... Their body image goes up and down a lot of times based off of their activity level, their weight, their size, all these different things. But sometimes women, including myself, have stopped exercising during times of stress or depression or COVID or whatever it may be that if you start to move your body again, it will naturally lift not only your spirits, but your body image because then you can start to change the dialogue in your head about how do my legs feel when I go on a walk I started I I grew up swimming and playing water polo started swimming last week and I was like I love this and then about a little bit in, I'm like oh my gosh I'm so out of breath (laughs) but but the joy I feel doing that activity so when I can try to get people to focus on that joyful movement and moving in a way that makes them feel connected to their body it's one of the quickest ways I can help people improve their body image
1: any final thoughts for folks?
0: It is really hard to change that dialogue in your head. Journaling and connecting with other people is so important because in this world where we feel like we're the only ones, 90% of us have those same thoughts every day. So if you're struggling with the thoughts, connect with yourself through movement or journaling or reach out to a trusted friend because shame can't survive empathy. So connect with other people. It's one of the best things you can do to help yourself.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today and your expertise. Thank you. My guest today has been Lindy Barnard. She's a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of Mind and Strength Counseling. If people want to find out more about you, how would they do that?
0: Um, Yeah, we have a website. It's mymindmystrength.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Mind and Strength. Thanks again. Thanks so much.